Pop charts. They were on UA. It was a follow-up to Treat Her Like a Lady. Turned out to be the biggest record. My favorite, too, which is rare. Usually I like the ones that went to 99 with an anchor. That was Bob Archibald's Music Factory on Northwest 7th in Miami. And certified gold by the RIAA 48 years ago today. So, hence I thought about it when I read about that certification. Now, it's it's hard not to uh, not to think about coronavirus. It's uh, It's hard... Actually, to uh, to get a handle on this, nobody seems to yet. Everything is in conflict with everything else you read. You can go crazy. I think some people have hit overload. People who were very afraid at first are now downright angry. All of that said, and maybe all of that will be discussed, who knows, but uh, tonight, all of that said, uh, the reality is school is about to be back in session, and kids will be kids. So joining me is Dr. Flace, Dr. Shelley Viziri Flace, and you probably know her from all sorts of media appearances and uh, on television, radio, and everything else in Chicago, Chicago native. So, Dr. Flace, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Raleigh. This is such a, a confounding thing because the information we have, as I say, is so incomplete. Everybody sort of making it up as it goes along. But to put that on hold for a moment, when the kids are going back to school and kids will be kids, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of concern about this. Now, I know the school boards themselves in the various uh, suburbs and Chicago and throughout the state have sort of right. three options, you know, all online, all traditional in-classroom, or then the hybrid model. Now, the first thing that I wonder about is, if you're afraid of your kids coming into other contact with other kids, what good is the hybrid model going to do you? Well, certainly families and schools and superintendents have a lot of decisions ahead of them. To back up, I will say that COVID is unlike anything that any of us have lived through. This is a -a once-in-a-lifetime event. I hope it's a -a once-in-a-lifetime event, but not since the 1918 Spanish flu has our society been so affected by an infectious viral agent. Um, And so for families feeling stressed, I do want to send a message that that is understandable. The choices that we're facing are difficult, and it is not clear-cut, and we are not choosing between one option that will be perfect and one option that is less than perfect. There is going to be balance to what we choose. There's going to be, there, there is no perfect solution. And anyone who expects school to look the way it always has, even if you do return to school, it's not going to look the same. And so a lot of factors have to go into that decision. Well, they do. And uh, again, though, just looking at it in sheer logic, if you're saying, I'm concerned about my child interacting with other children who might be carrying the disease, then how does hybrid help you out? Well, since the initial closures in March 2020, we have learned additional information, not as much as we would have liked. But one thing we weren't sure was how was COVID transmitted, who is more affected, 
who there's viral load and then there's transmission, and that's a distinctive thing because a study just came out this week talking about exactly that. What we do know is that the primary source of transmission of COVID-19 is through respiratory droplets by persons in close proximity. And so that's why you'll hear physicians repeating like a mantra, as well as departments of public health, mask up, wearing a mask, distancing when possible greater than six feet, frequent hand washing and hand hygiene, and being outdoors as much as possible mitigates those risks. Nothing is without complete zero risk, but taking those steps will do a whole lot to protect you, your family, and your kids. And so when you look at the hybrid model, exposures are exposures. Absolutely. Raleigh, I agree with you. But if you are minimizing that, and balancing it with the needs of kids in terms of their education, school is so much more than academics. And if that can lend some structure and some routine that helps with the educational aspect, and you're balancing that with the risk of exposure, then that might be a viable option for your family. No two patients are the same. No two families are the same. Just today in the office, I saw patients all day, and two separate families, moms had um conditions that um, made their immune system compromised, they have very special considerations. And believe me, in the office amongst my friend groups, everybody wants, this is all everyone's talking about. And every checkup that I do this week, everyone's asking, should we send our kids to school? So for these moms in particular and for families in general, I always ask, beyond my patient, I know their health conditions and their risk factors, but I always ask, are you living with grandparents? Is anyone in the home at particular risk? Because no one lives in a bubble. And if there's one thing that 2020 has shown us, it's that none of us live in a bubble. No, that that's absolutely true. You mentioned about masks, and I'm glad you brought up this point, because, of course, these masks are not going to protect viruses from penetrating them. It, it's the other way. The purpose of the mask is hopefully to protect the aerosol from spreading. So, Because uh, you, know, you hear that very often. No, a piece of cotton will not stop a virus. We know this. But if it stops the aerosol spread, it may stop the carrier of it from one person to another. You would and it, it's different than a seatbelt, because a seatbelt protects you, the person wearing Wearing it. My mask protects you. Your mask protects right, me. Right. As a pediatrician seeing kids in the office, because the CDC does recommend, as well as the AAP, that kids above the age of two years of age wear a mask. I've been very impressed with how the kids have been doing that in my office setting. And I make a big point as the adult in their life to say, hey, your mask looks awesome. Great job wearing it. It looks like it fits well. Um, it's been kind of funny actually seeing families um, expression of their individuality and their tastes, whether it's unicorns or Star Wars, it's been it's been pretty funny to see that masks are like now a fashion statement. But I love it as a physician and trying to mitigate the spread of this horrible virus. Um, I, and I think that's the hard thing. It's a mental leap for people to realize that their actions can help others. Um, and if someone said, hey, you have an opportunity to save a life, someone you may not even know, I think most of us would answer, absolutely, I would do that. But then somehow it's become more complicated than that. 
And it's just, I think it's reflective of 2020, and unfortunately things have gotten divisive when really it's, when you look at the science, when you look at common sense, it's not that complicated. Well, it's interesting, and, and by the way, I agree with you in terms of it's a very easy thing to do. Kids, uh, incidentally, I would think they would love it because kids love to dress up. They just absolutely adore this. They <laughs> love their point. face painted and everything else, so why wouldn't they like this? And I'm really surprised a radio station hasn't come up with masks with their call letters on it. I think they're missing an opportunity here. But, uh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, why, why not? I mean, it's a marketing opportunity. But in terms of uh, when you say science, when you when you talk about facts, unfortunately, these are very elastic and plastic, and that's what we've been getting. Whether you're, you're talking about a Dr. Fauci first saying, oh, no, no, you don't need masks, and then saying, well, actually you do, but we didn't have enough of them. That doesn't engender any reason to believe another thing that comes out of this man's mouth. And when you, when you see that, okay, well, here's the figures. Oh, by the way, we, we actually uh, mixed up the, uh, uh, the PCR tests with the antibodies tests, and both results are in there, and on and on you go. I'm sure you could, uh, from now for the next hour, give me a litany of all the divergent things you've heard in the name of facts. So I think that people are, and probably appropriately so, a little jaundiced when they hear that, quote-unquote, this is a fact. Well, I will say that science is always looking for the truth, and we are never quite completely there. The purpose of research studies, the purpose of looking at the data is that we're always improving our fund of knowledge. And science is actually working when we learn more, when we say, well, we used to think this, but now we realize this. That's very difficult for the general public to understand, but that actually means that we're constantly analyzing. We don't take anything for granted. Um, We're constantly improving our knowledge. So it's actually, to me as a physician, a great sign that we're constantly improving upon our fund of knowledge. And in terms of masks specifically, that was a great source of confusion because, sad to say, healthcare workers nationally still do not have enough PPE. And I would say that adequate funding is needed for teachers to have PPE if schools are to reopen. Um, that is still a problem, and we could talk separately about yeah. the national response to this emergency. But um, part of the mask confusion, confusion was specifically to make sure that those who were at the greatest risk for respiratory transmission had access to it. And right. you would think in 2020, of course we have the supplies, but sadly that was not the case. Oh, no, it absolutely wasn't the case. But, uh, you know, then you get into the uh, issue of it. Is it, is it acceptable to mislead uh, for the, for the quote-unquote greater good not it goes? It just, it added to the confusion, to, uh, to say the least. Uh, you mentioned about how uh, research is ongoing, and uh, certainly I don't know that we have any facts, but premises change because... Because to, to be a fact, I think we'd have to know it for a fact, and we're still in the uh, in, in the research. And I was just reading, and you probably read it over the weekend as well, uh, about some people who have maybe some natural protection uh, with regard to T-cells. And then that begs the bigger question of, wait a minute, if, if there is such a thing, and if some people are more naturally protected, what on earth does that do to a vaccine trial? And uh, that's where I'll pick it up. I'm talking with Dr. Fleiss, and uh, certainly you are, by the way, I should ask, do you have a website or anything you like people to go to? I do. I'm on Facebook, Twitter. My practice, Pediatric Health Associates in Naperville, um, has a website, so... Yeah, I'm definitely, um, I'm very involved with the American Academy of Pediatrics on the national level, 
and then very involved in um, the Chicago community through Northwestern Larry Children's. Okay, so just go to Dr. Google and search Dr. Flace MD, <laughs> and, and you'll uh, you'll come up with a bunch of sites, and that's, uh, that's who we're talking to. I, I dip uh, my toe in many waters. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's great, and I I, I saw some videos my, myself because I knew how to pronounce Flace, but I was having trouble with uh, with Vaziri, and I thought, well, certainly someone's going to say this, and I got to see a lot of your videos, but nobody said it. So, uh, so I'm glad that uh, glad that you did, and. Hopefully you'll get My some... parents will be happy to yeah, hear you said that. <laughs> that's right. And uh, hopefully we'll get some calls. 888-876-5593. It's 8888-R-O-L-L-Y-E. I'm Raleigh James, and this is WGN Radio. To save my soul, I can get a date. My Enter the charts 62 years ago today, got to number 7 on the R&B charts, 8 on the pop charts. It was on Demon, the highest in Phi. Says so right on the label, bright pink, by the way. Yeah, they were from Compton, Charlie Pfizer. In fact, sadly, he was killed in the Watts riots a few years after that in 65, and Walter Ward, who left us a while ago. But the uh, the Olympics had some great, great stuff, including the original Good Lovin', of course, that uh, the Young Rascals would make popular. I'm Raleigh James. We are talking with Dr. Flace on WGN Radio. And I have to tell you that Screener John, who is handling your calls at 888-876-5593, Raleigh, looked at that and said, you're having Heidi Fleiss on? I said, no, no. I'm- oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that could be an interesting show, but something tells me there are other diseases she specialized in. And we've but- dated ourselves with that reference. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, you know, that's terrible because to me that's still modern. Oh, my God, you're probably right. We probably have Yeah, the youngins understand. I work with have no idea <laughs> oh, about that reference. <laughs> isn't, isn't that? Yeah, every every year their Beloit College puts out that list of their incoming freshmen and what they weren't alive to witness. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, all my clothes are older than these people. So, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, you know... I think there are people now getting getting sick of talking about COVID-19, and maybe rightfully so, but as we were stating at the beginning, with, with the schools uh, opening up and this uh, this being a decision that parents are going to have to make, and like you say, it's not black and white by any means. It's not an open and shut discussion. And I was reading uh, earlier today about there are groups that are protesting the Chicago schools from opening at all. And then you get into, well, okay, you've got a couple different trajectories here. One, of course, is the virus, which is the ultimate. But the other is, what is it ultimately doing to children to keep them away from education as we know it and the group environment? And maybe, maybe it's going to turn out that, oh, no, it's just as good online, which would be a statement in and of itself. But where are you on this? Well, I can tell you from speaking with my families in my office, the kids far and away had a rough experience this past spring. Usually one of my first questions is, how did this past spring in e-learning go? And some of the teenagers tell me it flat out didn't. 
um, we have to remember that not everyone even has reliable Internet access and the technology right. needed. One of my fears as a pediatrician is that COVID has health disparities that affects different populations disproportionately. Yes. But school closures also affect different populations disproportionately. Not everybody has the funding and resources to create a pod with neighbors to have a cocooned homeschooling environment. There's other kids who are relying on public transportation or school busing to get to school, and if they um, are learning remotely, they're put at great risk. This is also, I want to mention that I have a lot of patients who are special needs, have an individualized education plan, an IEP, a 504. They get speech therapy, occupational, physical therapy in school. These are things that are really challenging for a parent, especially a working parent, an essential worker parent, to mimic at home. So we know it's interesting because we know that uh, there's a lot about COVID that we don't know, but we do know that school closures are harmful to kids. And so it's all about balancing that. And I want to be clear that nationally, this is not, there is not going to be a one size fits all approach. It is not open at, a, you know, at all costs. We have to look and see what's happening in our communities because what's happening in the community will be mirrored, reflected into the school setting. So if the, zone is in a hot pocket, say you've got, you know, Texas, Florida, different parts of the country, that is just um, not a good situation. I actually, driving in Chicago traffic, came up with a metaphor for this situation, if you'll indulge me for a second. Um, Heading northbound into the Dan Ryan as it flows into the Kennedy, or should I say not flow, because pretty much everyone's going (laughs) the speed limit or above. And then all traffic comes to a screeching halt, merging into those curves of the Kennedy approaching the loop. So maybe it's the fatalist in me, but I'm always pleasantly surprised when everyone stops in time and there's no accident that I witness. And I drive a lot. I commute a lot. And so I just did this the other day, and I was thinking about the highway as a metaphor for school opening in a pandemic because a highway is an example of a societal structure that benefits us all in certain ways, and it relies on infrastructure, larger decisions, um, as well as individual decisions, the cars themselves. Do your brakes work? Do your airbags work? Are you wearing a seatbelt as an individual? Are you driving under the influence? Do you know the rules of the road? To assume that everyone else is doing what they should be doing, it functions. But if a tornado came, you would not be driving on that highway. And so to me, schools opening in the midst of a pandemic we need to see what the individual community is affected by. Um, so that definitely affects those decisions. Yeah, you mentioned about the driving analogy. I, I figure there must be auto angels, because given the way people <laughs> drive, how we're all not dead, you know, <laughs> the, the rules of the road be darned, these people are violating the laws of physics. And I am literally <laughs> grateful whenever I'm not rear-ended yeah, when well, traffic comes to a screeching halt. <laughs> well, ex- exactly. So it's got to be some form of divine intervention, or we all would have been gone long, long, long ago. But uh, you mentioned broadband, and I'm glad you did, because that's like my hot topic in life, obviously. And it's not just disproportionate on neighborhoods that are lower income. You can have somebody who's maybe out further in uh, in an exurb who is just got nothing. And what bothers me most, and I guess I was hoping that if anything that this pandemic would address it, is the broadband myths and lies. You know, 
cable modems are shared resources. They'll tell you all about their gigabit speed plan, but they don't bother to tell you that the up speed's 30 megs or something. Mm-hmm. And when you start to have to really work online, and especially if you've got any cloud computing aspect of it, your upstream is every bit of important as your downstream. And there are very few communities in America that actually have sufficient broadband. And I'm wondering, is there going to be more of a hue and cry on getting this done? It's obviously not necessarily going to come from the private companies of the world, although they certainly will try to sue municipalities when they try to do it in a, in a public manner. But the issue of suitable broadband is huge, and especially right now. And with the people you deal every day, how often does this come up where they say, you know, I got a broadband problem? Well, I don't know that anyone has said that to me this month. Um, but I will say to your point, the pandemic has kind of exposed all these fault lines in our society. And I'm never going to be grateful for the pandemic. Definitely not. But when you look at, look at, um, Black Lives Matter movement and, Everything that we're learning, it's almost as if there's certain parts of our society that are exposing, like, this is a problem, and we need to address this. So whether it's Black Lives Matter or what you're pointing out, it's um, we're seeing all these faults in our society. And um, the fact that, you know, health insurance is tied to employment, and yet we're in a financial crisis, and a lot of households are without work, it, it, it's, it's exposed a lot of problems. And so it's a lot for our society to look at and analyze what are our priorities. And as a pediatrician, that's why I'm going to bark up every tree I can that schools are kids and our future. It's and, and kids are a population that cannot speak for themselves. So that's why we as pediatricians are going to speak on their behalf. There's, a, there's another factor that adults fail to remember when they're thinking about kids and their experience. And it's really easy to sum up. Everybody remembers being in, say, the third grade, you know, and it seemed to take 17 years to get out of that, you know, and, and summer. This was forever. And time moves differently with a child. You know, we think, oh, my God, another year has gone by. And yet a kid, a few months is a semi-eternity. And right. so what we're talking about, you know, let's say, well, it's a year of school. No, that that's like 25 five years to someone who's 60 years old. And I don't think that adults are factoring the time factor with a kid, as well as, of course, just the the basic kids' needs. Now, you mentioned special needs, and this is a whole other universe, because in many cases, the education of special needs isn't about read and write and arithmetic. It is about socialization. It is about things that are not going to be gained online. So what have some of the special needs programs done to adopt to this? Well, that that is a great question, because need be with the pandemic, a lot of it is virtual, and it is simply not easy to do. For example, I have a patient who's five years old who gets speech therapy through school. Right now, it's all online. I mean, attention span, looking at a screen, trying to engage in that manner, it's simply not the same. Usually, speech therapy for um, a three-, four-, and five-year-old is more play-based. So much of what we do for kids under 10 is play-based. Play is the work of children, and that's how they learn, and that's how we can teach certain concepts to them. And so that's why we as pediatricians know that um, 
virtual learning is always going to be missing an element, especially for those under 10 years of age. Is there any entity right now that's excelling at this? I mean, we know we have virtual academies. Some states uh, allow it in lieu of public school, and it's considered okay. Other states say, no, you can't. But is there anybody anywhere who actually has a track record of saying, we excel at this? That's a great question. As a pediatrician, I'm not sure I'm fully authorized to answer that. As a mom, I can tell you, I was very impressed with our Chicago suburb high school, my oldest graduated high school, supposed to be in June, delayed till July. They followed all Illinois Department of Public Health and CDC guidelines. I was very impressed. They made a memorable, wonderful experience. Um, Teenagers, kids in general, I feel are much more resilient than we often give them credit for. But they really made a special event following the protocols, masking, distancing, um, definitely not your typical everyone crunched in chairs listening to long speeches with families crowded on the football stadium benches. It was modified. It was creative, and it happened, and we created some memories. So I think that's a theme here, being creative, looking for solutions that may not have previously existed Um, keeping in mind the masking, the distancing, what can we do? I I think in terms of looking at it in terms of we can't this, we can't that, what can we do? Um, And that goes beyond the virtual. For in-person choices, what can we do to make it safe? And is it possible? It deserves to be discussed. Well, and is it going to happen? We'll see. It depends on what's happening in the viral load in your community, but it deserves discussion. Right, and you've brought up something that I think Mark from Aurora, who's joining us right now, is on in terms of adults versus kids in their reaction to COVID rules and such. So hello, Mark. Thanks for calling WGN Radio. Yeah, good evening. I, uh, I have been uh, reflecting throughout this pandemic that for the most part, uh, grown-ups who refuse to wear masks are kind of like bigger versions of brats. And <laughs> since we have a pediatrician on the air, I'd be curious to know, what have you observed about the comparative cooperation of children or teenagers as you know, opposed to grown-ups? Are they more willing to wear masks than grown-ups are or and and do we have to put children and teenagers in separate categories i mean are there different levels of defiance depending on the age group because it it seems like grown-ups are engaged in petty defiance but what about children and teenagers good question what do you think (laughs) That's a great question. I thought for a second, Mark, you were proposing we put the kids in charge, and I was yeah. actually about to say yes. <laughs> Let's do that. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, as a pediatrician, my training and my experience leads me to analyze kids in a, ages and stages. And so what is going on for a 2-year-old versus a 4-year-old versus a 5-year-old, 10-year-old? And so I never use the word brat to use your word, Mark. Um, I always <laughs> I, talk about stages. <laughs> um, I always emphasize to parents that when they see so-called bratty behavior, it, remember that it's the age, not the child. And by modeling and by explaining the rationale, um, encouraging the kids to make better choices. Teenagers are a completely different developmental stage, and a hallmark feature of teenagers is separating from the family connecting more with their peer group, and that's what makes COVID transmission rates difficult because we can say the rules, 
We emphasize why, but ultimately the pull of wanting to be a member of the group is very strong. And so that's why I really encourage not only my four teenagers, I'm a mom to four teenagers, but also my patients, it's very important to be able to voice what is correct, even though it may not be the group think. And that's a huge issue. Um, so I definitely think there's a big difference between a two-year-old, a five-year-old, and a teenager. Absolutely. All right. Mark, thank you for calling. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, that, that's a, that was a great question. And, and yeah, kids, uh, they are going to differentiate, and that, that act of defiance is a fairly, a fairly normal thing. But how to handle that becomes very interesting. Not so much for the transmission rate, kid-to-kid necessarily. We're not terribly concerned about that, although there have been exceptions. But, as you mentioned, these kids, some of whom are living with extended families, these kids who have family members who were compromised, uh, this, uh, you know, this this can be a, a guided missile of problems, depending on what your what your kid is doing when you send them out. We're talking with Dr. Flace, and as I say, just go to Google.com, Dr. Google, and uh, search Shelley Flace, F-L-A-I-S-M-D, and you'll pick up all of her websites, and we'll pick up more of her wisdom in moments here on WGN Radio. Sixty-three, number two on the R&B charts, seven on the pop charts. It's on a symbol label. Yeah, from Greensboro, they are. That was Inez and her brother Charlie, the Foxes doing Mockingbird. Symbol Records. Can you name anybody else on them? You probably couldn't name that, right? Yeah. Well, the poet, she blew a good thing. A couple others as well, but I think those are the only things close to hits that Symbol had. But that was sure a big one for Inez Fox, yeah, Mockingbird. And there was a reason I played it, and I don't, I don't remember now what it was. Either it entered the charts on this day or it peaked or something. But anyway, uh, yeah, I'll get it together. We're uh, we're talking with someone who has it together. That is that is for absolute sure. And that's Dr. Shelley Vaziri Flace, MD. You hear her around Chicago everywhere, and you can see her online. And if you search on Google, you'll You'll see her Facebook page and every every other one. There's there's tons of them. Too numerous to mention, as they say. That's F L A I S. And uh, sadly, uh, uh, COVID nineteen stories are, are clearly too numerous to mention as well. Many of them anecdotal, but it's hard to not think about this if you've got school age kids because you're about to possibly submerge them into uh, an activity that could potentially bring back something uh, something to you. And uh, Dr. Flace, I'd assume that that's the, the biggest concern here, not so much of the kids catching it, although it could be catastrophic, but usually isn't, but is who they might carry it to. Well, and we do have further information on kids' transmission. A study was actually released this month out of South Korea It was a very powerful study, 65,000 people. They looked at people January through March, and 
this made the news because I think all along people were saying, oh, if you're under 20, you're okay. But this actually stratified kids less than 10 years of age compared to 10 to 19 versus other age groups. And so the bad news, that's not very positive of me to start with the bad news, but the bad news was that it looked like kids 10 to 19 transmit the virus as much as adults do. Mm -hmm. The good news is the kids less than 10 transmit they transmitted, according to these numbers, half as much as okay. adults do. Not zero, but right. half as much. Right. I will say this is a very powerful study, and when the general public hears things in the news, everyone's eager for more, more information. So sometimes it seems like every study gets equal play, but I will tell you as pediatricians and the medical community is paying attention to this one because 65,000 people is a very strong thing. So just I would clue in the general public when you hear about a study, ask. How many people did it involve? How many families are we talking about? Because something can sound very powerful, but if it was 10 people, it just doesn't mean as much. So this was a very powerful study. We had a lot more contact tracing going on in South Korea. Is this something the U.S. could emulate? I hope so. I would love that. We really need more testing. We need more contact tracing. These are things that will get our community safer to open schools safely. Um, so we do know more about kids under 10 versus the older adolescents. Mm. And the feeling is that adolescents, like we as pediatricians consider 12 and up, you're pretty much adult size. You absolutely have much different medical needs. There's different situations going on. As we've all commonly heard, our brain isn't fully developed until we're 25 years of age. So a lot of growth is still happening. But say you need to take Tylenol, Motrin, that sort of thing, 12 and up is considered adult-sized. And so especially if you're not distancing, that might account for some of the spread. Um, so there is a difference at that 10th birthday above and below. When you first heard about this in January and, and there was uh, talk about what this was or might be, and we, we still don't have that answer, but did you expect this to play out the way it has been? I actually distinctly remember we're old school and we get print newspapers delivered to the house, and a Wall Street Journal cover had a healthcare worker in full PPE taking a sample from an older woman's nose. And that was, I, somehow that photo just stuck in my head. But if you, and I believe that was January at some point, mm. if you told me how it would have dramatically impacted not just Americans, the entire globe's existence in 2020, I don't think any of us saw this coming. It just, it's been incredible and it's also been incredible to see the global response and how different nations have dealt with it and um it's been interesting and i hope that we as a society can think about what are our priorities what are we willing to sacrifice for the greater good and um and how to keep our kids safe yeah, and right right now all emphasis is on that. But yeah, all good uh, good points. Uh, I hope that we're not talking in the same manner next year at this time. But uh, thank you very much for joining us, Dr. Flace, and uh, carry on. Absolutely. Thank you Appreciate so much it. for having me. It was a pleasure. Likewise. All right, so you got some good information there, and I know that's a great concern to a number of people. I'm Raleigh James. It's WGN Radio.